Boxcutters episode 220, where we give you a break from all the news about Carl Williams being dead. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, Carl Williams. Uh, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Still breathing, still speaking. Not bashed in jail. No. Hey, we've got no time. Well, thanks. That's thanks thanks for coming, then. Yeah, I, I thought and you were going to play something off your. Yeah, I, th- I thought you were just switching us off. That was that's, no. that's why we all went silent. Yeah, yeah, sorry, no time, no time for anything. Okay, no time for anything because packed show, absolutely packed show on our uh, Anzac Day special episode of Box Cutters. Well, yeah, in in preparation for uh, for next Sunday being Anzac Day, uh, we we thought we'd bring you uh, everything we can about Anzac Day. So we've got Dave Lawson from the Channel Seven show, The Bounce. Uh, talking about football <laughs> and family entertainment. Oh, I see, because football's a, a, an Aussie kind of... It's the modern-day gladiators going into battle. Okay. Because that's, that's how football started. I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, but football started uh, as a competition between uh, the, uh, the, the Aussie diggers mm-hmm. and the Turks on Anzac Day. They took a break. And played they football. Went, it's Anzac Day, let's take a break. And we'll almost certainly mention biscuits in that interview. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, the Anzac... Is, highly successful is yeah, that's that's yeah. that's what the day is named after. Yeah, the is, so so is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in other not so uh, offensive to parochial Australians uh, bits of the show, parochial Australians. Did you say? Yeah. Okay. What, what did you think I said? I, I was just clarifying. That's what you said. Yeah. I thought you said parochial Australians. I thought you said bronchial. Ah. Bronchial, Pro Hill, Australians are many things. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and some Australians are location managers. And uh, this particular Australian is a location manager who worked on the, uh, the, the new series, The Pacific, which is uh, That's a war drama. Channel 7, which is a war drama, which we're also reviewing this week. And war leads us back to Anzacs. Yes. Different war, but you know. As always, let's kick things off with the Boxcutters News. To find this week's news, have a look on the website boxcutters.net where we'll post some bits of news that we intended to talk about in this bit but haven't because we don't have enough time. And that is the Boxcutters News. Hi, I'm Adam Zouar. You might recognise my voice from ads before Australia Post and HBA or maybe from the phone calls I make to your house late at night. That's right. I make phone calls to your house late at night. I'm Adam Zouar, and you're listening to Box Cutters. Joining us now in the studio at Box Cutters Central. I don't know, I'm making stuff up on the spot. I don't know why. John? It's because you're nervous. Right. You know why I'm nervous? Why are you nervous? Because we've got a star of television (laughs) in the studio with us. You've seen him on The Bounce. You've seen him on Gorillas Gardening. Gorilla Gardeners. <laughs> See, this is hilarious. Let's, let's, let's be upfront about this. That's not the, you, you'd never heard of that I'd show. I'd never heard of I'd that I'd never show. heard of The Bounce. So between right. the two of us, we actually do know what this man does. You know what I, you know what I have heard of, though? What? Nickelodeon. 
Yeah. Brett won't have heard of it, though, because that's on, uh, that's I've on Foxtel. I've heard of it. Haven't and seen the, it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, star of all of those things, Dave Lawson. Welcome to Box Cutters. Hey, Box Cutters. How are we? Good. Good. Is it good evening. Good. 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 Whatever. It's, it's good. the internet. It's good all day, time it's, at once. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's, yeah, 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 we are the we are the time lords yeah. of audio production. Wibbly wobbly, timey. Well, it's good to be wherever I am right now. It feels very good. Well, we're 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 very happy to to have you. You know, the, the bounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we really need another bloody footy comedy show? Yeah, I think we do. We definitely do. Why? Because I've got a job. <laughs> uh, so Fair that's, point, that's, well made. that's a great reason on, to on have one. On a slightly less personal level, Dave, do we need another footy comedy Be- because show? Because we've got, yeah, we've got uh, Before the Game yeah. and uh, we've got, well, the footy show has turned into a farce. Uh, we've got... But it's not funny. Like, they, they, these, aren't, these aren't professional comics on the footy show. No, but it's, it's they're, supposed they're, to be funny. They're footy players who are trying... It's, t- it's still yeah, supposed through, to be funny. through put downs to to crack jokes. Well, I used generally. to I used to watch the footy show when it when it first started. I think you know with Dad, it was it was that real appointment viewing. And but I dropped off in the last sort of four or five years, I think, and sort yeah. of haven't watched it for a long your, time. Your dad, yeah. of course, Henry Lawson, Henry, that yeah, famous Australian poet. But it did actually yeah, take a big hit when Maguire left. Yeah, and and now that Trevor Marmalade's gone, yeah, it's just it has no discipline at all. It left, I don't think. No, that's right. But I, that's why I think maybe and before the game is. I don't know if it really is a is a family show. That's why I'm sort of hoping uh, the, the bounce, it, it, what it will become, is is that family show because everyone loves football. It's it's um, you know kids love football and it's just for, also for people who just uh, like a kick to kick or just put in the footy tips. You don't have to be sort of mad about football, but it, it's really hard I think to find that balance. The people who are who are mad about football and and want their stats and the people who want their comedy so to sort of tr- try and find a, a sort of balance you either want comedy or football but if we can get it right i think there's a, there is an audience there that so it's almost like a, a a footy tv chat show that reflects that series of uh, stephen curry ads yeah. where they got the old footy player and and would reconstruct stephen curry and, and his buddy <coughs> what dave lawson Oh, was it you? <laughs> I wasn't sure at what point do I go, I think I know the ones you're talking about there. I'm be, so embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. no that, oh, that got awkward. That got very awkward. Well, I wasn't sure how, how, what to do there. No, yeah. well, that's the so, uh, like to fly under the radar, you know. I'm, that, that was a character that piece. That was a character piece. So, I, yeah. I, I read Wikipedia, so I was aware. <laughs> yeah, but Wikipedia tells a lot of lies. It also, it well, I think it says I'm a, a regular on the stand-up comedy circuit as well. It does say that. Is that not yeah. true? <laughs> I'll make it true. I'll right. make it true. I was rather, I was, I was thinking rather than take it off the page, I should just become a stand-up comedian because I kind of liked it. I saw that and went, oh. So is this the I challenge? Really like we should keep rewriting your Wikipedia yeah, page to make you become the things that you know. I'm a stunt driver for films. Yeah. I'll become a stunt driver. I actually wanted to do a whole show based on my Wikipedia page, becoming whatever the page uh, says I am. Yeah. For, yeah. Former astrophysicist, yeah. Dave Lawson. Yeah, so I've got to go back and uh, become an astrophysicist and then, and then give it up. Yeah, and then give it up to become a full. But I thought, yeah, that would be great. But this is why I thought I'll have to write a comedy show now because I really didn't want to take it off and I don't know how to take it off, so... Uh, but Wikipedia, uh, what were we talking about? There's, uh, uh, yeah. The footy ads. Yeah, John, you read, the, you read the Wikipedia page. I read the so Wikipedia would have said, page. Yeah, yeah, the memorable moments. I think that's the, that's the reason why I'm in this show, The Bounce, because because of I've been doing those ads for about five years. Because the funny one from the ads moved up to Queensland. So Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. They, they got the other one. They got the other one. They, he, he did get the call first, and then he couldn't do it. So I must admit, I read about the ads and went, isn't that what Dave Skinner and, and Daniel, uh, David Baddiel used to do all the time on, on fantasy no, football? No, never isn't as good as that. Off of no, that? no. It's, it, does, it does predate the ads, though. It, it, it does. I think I've heard this before. Those um, 
uh, on fantasy football, that had a very similar sort of thing. Mm, but yeah. Which is interesting because the guy who wrote the first ads for Toyota um, had never seen a game of football in his life. Are they ads so, for Toyota? Yeah. See, I, I remember the ads. I think the ads are fantastic. They're hilarious. But you were thinking Sunny Crust? I, I actually, <laughs> I thought I thought they were ads for maybe pies or something like that. I, yeah, yeah. Didn't no know idea. Well, no there's idea. no car in them. That's that's the other great thing about them. I think that there isn't a car, and you're not sort of standing there saying buy the new uh, Prius or whatever. So it's just there's no ad. That's just sort of. I think that's why they worked because you weren't jamming anything down anyone's throat. But they, but they were so entertaining. And I think that the difference for me between those and the Bedeal and Skinner things is that I'm aware of the uh, of the events that these ads are recreating. Right, whereas Bedeal right. and Skinner was, was yes. English stuff that we'd, we'd never heard of because yes. it was all soccer. It was all soccer and, and who cares about that? No one except for SBS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 70% of the world. Shh, shh, shh. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Welcome to Box Cutters. So, so, Dave, wherever yeah. we are. If, if you, for example, were the host of an internet television-based theme and I'd never heard of The Bounce, what is it? And what does it do? The Bounce... Why would I watch it? <laughs> All right, okay. If you, if you like your AFL and you like having a little bit of a laugh and you put those two together, that's, it's an hour sort of variety show. It's a studio-based uh, football variety show, I suppose, it's, which, is, which is why I really wanted to be involved in it because I, I really love that idea of variety. I was, I've been hoping it comes back. This is why when Hey Hey came back on, I was very excited, but um, I sat through that. And I grew up watching the Early Bird Show. Do you remember the Early Bird Show? That was oh, yes. Club, you know, just shows like that. I always wanted to do a Saturday morning variety show, like then sort of what recovery was and that and those uh, mm-hmm. and the Early Bird Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, s- s- uh, what was it? Uh, Saturday morning at Rick's. <laughs> Who was that one? Saturday morning at Rick's. Oh, that was uh, that was Stephen Jacobs. Oh, right. Okay, and someone else. Factory. 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 Yeah, well, th- these variety shows. So when I got this call to sort of ask to be involved, if I wanted to be involved in The Bounce, which was, um, you know, described as a sort of a, a, a big studio show and described as that sort of show you could watch uh, with your family while eating fish and chips, which is what I really, I thought there was a real place for something like that, especially to do with football. Because I, I, li- I like football and I'm passionate about football, but I'm not a stats man. But I was still would like myself to be able to watch a show that um, just was light and sort of went over the teams and... Uh, showed a few of the players. So that's why I wanted to be involved in that. And um, I think at the same time, it's sort of only been on for four weeks. So it's it's really hard. The shows that I've been involved in take a little while before you f- find out exactly what it is. And everyone falls into their roles and works out but, what their roles are. But you're at Channel 7. There's yeah. no opportunity to, to try and no. wait and find out. No, that's right. You really have to succeed from the gate. Yeah, which there's a lot of pressure, I suppose, as well. And being thrown into, um, you know, 7.30 on a Thursday night, um, that's there's you know there's no room for error there. Like with the football show, that got to start later at night and sort of sort of grow until it moved into an earlier time slot. But with this, we've moved straight into it and sort of uh, still trying to you know I suppose everyone's trying to work out the best way to put the show together. Is- how, how do you then know what what is for your show? Like I mean, do you come up with yeah. ideas and someone go, no, no, that's to the footy show or that's to you know, before the game. I mean, do you know what it is that defines the bounce or is it you're still kind of trying to find Well, I, I think uh, for me, only the show we did last week sort of felt like where the, what it should be, the show. It, uh, the first couple of weeks we were, you know, trying to work out is there too much footy talk going on? Is there too many sketches going on? Um, you know, who's watching this? But then last week sort of felt like a really good balance. So I think week four, 
And um, Peter Lawler, who's directing, sort of said week four is where a, should, a show should really start on air. You know, that's uh, that's where it should be. Sort of, it's like know. our box cutters rule of three. What's the rule of three? We, we have to watch three episodes of a show before we can uh, review, it. review it. Yeah, right. Well, of a serial. It's because you've got the pilot, you've got yep. the exposition yeah. episode, and then it gets a chance to, to actually hit the ground. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I think we did two test uh, test records, which was sort of just trying out segments and I think giving Pete Hellier a chance to sort of work out what he's doing with the show and everyone a chance to work out what they're doing. So we did the two test episodes and, and they felt good. Then you go on air. And then you sort of – it's just still tweaking and working out what, what to drop. And so for me, for those, I've still just been – keep my fingers crossed that I'm, that, I'm, <laughs> that I'm still involved in it. But I think it feels – it's starting to feel really good. Uh, last week especially, sort of after, after coming off doing the show, I sort of – it felt a lot better than the first three weeks when it's just uh, working out. Uh, what we should be doing and what and, people want. And the, the first three weeks, sorry, sorry, Brian, the first three weeks were, were uh, uh, marred in a little bit of controversy as as well because yeah. uh, one of your your co-producers uh, yep. left, yep. and then my understanding is your co-producer left, uh, and a whole lot of the writing staff uh, kind of resigned mm. in in dispute of of that whole thing happening. Yeah, uh, without going into the into the details of why that happened. Whose yeah. fault was it? Whose fault <laughs> was it? And, uh, and, and, and my, how, my how fault. String... No, that was uh, me. How does uh, a young production overcome that? I mean, the, uh, it, it was... I mean, that, that's that's the kind of scenario where you go, right, well, yeah. now we're completely stuffed because we've lost h- half our writing staff, half our production staff. Yeah, I and... mean, for me, I'm, I'm the last person to be sort of find out about these things or what's going on. And for me as well... I didn't want to get too caught up or worry about what was going on because if I'm worrying about that, oh, it's not my job. I don't, you know, I'm not there to worry about who's producing and, and writing segments. But it was, I suppose it, you do sort of think after, you know, because you have, you have the, uh, the, the writers and, and those producers on for the first uh, couple of pilot episodes and then the first, so, uh, first, um, first record so you really feel like you're getting somewhere and then to sort of move the team around. But, um, you know, that's that's the executive producer's decision, sort of the direction they want the show and the sort of team they want behind the show. So, um, so do you I have think kind of vastly different content to deliver through that? Because, do, you, because you had a different writing team and and the, the, the story that went around at the time was that it was it, – that, that – Original team was a bit too adult, and they wanted to bring in mm. new people that were actually writing for a for a family perspective. Yeah, I th- it's, so I, I imagine the content was kind of cleaned up a little bit. I, th- I, th- I think it might have been, but I think th- those guys uh, who the writers are talking about sort of whenever I come in and chat to ideas, you know, I, I sort of found what they were writing, you know, was funny. But whether or not it's what they you know needed for the bounce, that's you know. That's that's something so you didn't else. But the difference in in what no, you no. Well, doing. then you get a you know then a new team of, of writers and a, sort of a whole different group of writers and sort of for the first week, um, everyone's still trying to work out. Again, you're sort of trying to find out where you fit within the production. But and that's why I felt like last week after they'd been there for a week or two, that everyone was starting to work out their roles. And I think that's important. You know, within a production, that everyone get knows what their job is. Yeah, get into a groove, yeah. and so it's it's sort of you know you start and then you, you, it slows you down a little bit, I suppose, uh, but not for me because I tried to not worry about that, and uh, and then it starts again. But I think now it feels really good for me going into the studio and um, 
I'm really starting to enjoy it. But for the first few weeks, I was just just on edge, you know, yeah. hoping I'm doing the right thing and uh, and not stuffing it watching, up. Watching watching Arch Barker kind of kind of try and tread water. Oh yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> was a little bit hard to watch. Yeah, but uh, was that the first crack the coach or was it the that was the episode first that first crack the coach? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and, you know, it cleverly cut together so that it looked like he was going well for the ads for the promos. Yeah, afterwards. right. I didn't see it, but I don't. I don't know how much has been cut in it because uh, this week I, be- I, I believe we're going. It's live to air because previously we've been recording an hour before, so the record will start an hour before just just to make sure that everyone's up to up to speed before they hit the big red button or whatever button is they hit when it goes live so Seems next week yep. next week it's live which i'm really looking forward to because i think um i've only done a couple of bits and pieces live but i think everyone is is on their toes when, when you're live it's, it's definitely a higher energy yeah. like let loose yeah. live was amazing oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right <laughs> I, I, you bitch <laughs> yeah you, you it was it it definitely had an energy yeah. there that no, but in I, front of the guest <laughs> why don't I just hit him why don't just punch him in the face i know what i, I know exactly i know what exact exactly what dave's saying though because because in a in in completely 100 percent live not uh not even just time shifted yeah. by now but completely 100 percent live richo might bring his a game and that's uh a really <laughs> richo's good richo richo, I, I i i really like richo i think I, he's and he's um He's got such I a good reputation. Fu- I think he's very. Nice fu- he's a nice guy, but I think he's very funny as well. And just gotta let him let let, let Richo go a little bit. And uh, yeah, he's good. Yeah. I, I, f- I found uh, I found that it took him a while to get started, yeah. and uh, and that really grated on me. When as he loosened up his shoulders a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it just looks really. Uh, no, I don't know. I just it, to me, it just felt really really awkward. And I thought, uh, who is this guy? Because yeah. because I know nothing about football at all. Yeah. Uh, except you know. Right. Okay. I, I know nothing about football post nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Right. Uh, so when Lee Matthews comes on, I'm like, yeah, lethal. Yeah. But uh, but before then, absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah. I mean, so that's interesting. Then, sort of watching it from a perspective, of someone who who doesn't know who uh, Richo is, or and while well, watching that, but you you found him a bit sort of. I found him really stilted. St- right. Okay. Uh, and, uh, I and, think he and holds not his body that way. Maybe you should do some Alexander technique. <laughs> right. rolls, right. shake it all out. But he's mm. he's he's genuinely one the nicest bloke to play football. I reckon James Hurd seems pretty nice, but Richo, he, he I think he really is actually a nice guy. Hmm. With um, uh, uh, with things like last week's show, uh, you had Nick Rewalt on, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was the first interview he'd given after his surgery. For those who don't know, Nick Rewalt. Footballer yep. injured on the weekend and uh, and had surgery on the Monday and then Essentially on Thursday an exploded hamstring. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I don't know what torn. I hear things like torn off the bone. I don't know. He's he's broke done something bad to his leg. But there was another one. Uh, it wasn't St Gilda, but another uh, top player uh, had the same thing this weekend. But but he he comes on the show. You've got a scoop. Yep. on uh, on the bounce, but then. The bounce doesn't seem like a. It's really important to have a scoop kind of a show. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you kind of justify and get get that balance between? It's a football news show. We've yeah. got all the ins and outs of yeah. the week, uh, but then it's also just sketches about football. I mean, I, I think the Pete Rosethorn stuff is really funny. Yeah. Uh, the pie seller sketch was uh, was great. Yeah. The taxi driver sketch was. Uh, was was really good. That stuff's really funny and works really well. Uh, 
and but balancing that but with a hard hitting scoop. Balancing that with a hard hitting yeah. scoop. Yeah. How, how do you go? How do you go about doing that? Because again, the scoop good, but it it feels That's off right. kilter. I know it's early days. I was yeah. hungry beast all over again. It really, it? it was. It was hungry yeah. beast all over again. <laughs> it's um, yeah. I so I don't. I, th- I think this is also where you got to find out who's what people want from the bounce because I, I really think that there is a that the time. The time slot seven thirty. There should be a football show there, and sort of a, v- a variety football show. Because I know when, I, as a kid, that I would have loved to have watched something like that to get enough out of it. But whether a kid wants to see or a family needs to see an in-depth interview with Nick Rewell, I don't know. But uh, I think, I mean, it was great to have him on. Um, but yeah, finding that balance. It's, this is the weird thing about, and I think you know where football shows in the past have have tried to get that balance right. It's really hoping that we can do it. Uh, you love, so. love it when the scoop comes along, but you have fun. Yeah, I like. I, I thought it was. I, when I found out he was coming on the show, I, I thought that was great. Only because uh, you know it, it's good for the show to have someone like that, and especially after he's had a big injury, come on the show. So I thought you know that's great, and um, and I thought it was. I thought he did really well as well in making it light. Uh, rather than a sort of really heavy interview. Oh, my God, I'm but screwed. I'm not going to play again for the entire season. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to get my form back next yeah. season? Yeah. Shitting himself on air. Yeah. yeah, yeah. he shouldn't have done that. He really shouldn't have just shot himself. Yeah. Not during that, the ad break. No, not, <laughs> not, not, not during family television. Uh, they came back and they were all just laughing about it. <laughs> oh, I wish you'd been here during the ad break. <laughs> Amazing stuff happens. Like I had said that. Nick Rewell got really depressed. Uh, <laughs> uh, the... Oh, I've completely lost that question. Uh, it, was, it was genius, uh, though. It was uh, absolutely so how, how genius. do you respond to the question Josh was going to ask? Uh, having a hard-ending interview, like Nick Revolt on, how, how do we... Uh, Just answer the question you want Josh to answer. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's probably the easiest way to get out of it. Um, the question I want you to ask... Oh, oh who's okay. doing the puppets for the kids on the... No, the, the, question, uh, <laughs> the, question that I, the question that I wanted to ask was, uh, uh, you're on at 7.30 in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, in other parts of the country, the Maddie Johns show yeah. is on at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and then in Melbourne, Maddie Johns show is played at like midnight on Thursday yeah. night. Uh, does the bounce get played at midnight elsewhere in the country? I and think do it you, does. Are I, you getting feedback from other parts of the country? Yeah, I think it does. I, I mean, I haven't got any feedback myself, but I've, I've got a couple of mates who said, oh, I, I caught the show late last night, who who are up in Sydney. Um but that, yeah, that's the only feedback. I don't know if it's yeah, it must be on twelve o'clock or something like that. Did you actually have like a a, a synchronized instruction from Channel Seven to have a comic character as a taxi driver that you can get the famous dudes in the back seat? Yeah, and, I, and I don't know because think... you've got Arne Doe on the Maddie John show doing basically exactly that oh, character really? of Pete Rosebourne yeah. as the uh, the cab driver. Yeah, is it the same cab company? Is it ASL Cabs? Because I don't know what that stands for. Yeah, I don't for. know if it's, the same, if it's the same. And I don't know uh, where that came from. I do remember early, uh, in the early days, um, Pete Hallier had the idea for a taxi driver mm-hmm. um, and Pete Roselawn created the character that he wanted. So I think between them, this is what I understand, that they put that piece together. So I uh, stole it. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe um, John stole it. That, I, that's... Um, I'd put a, I'd put a five, I'll put a fiver on that. Na- name of this episode, Dave Lawson calls Ando a thief. <laughs> I'm not saying he's a, he, he's, oh, he's, too, he's a thief. It's he's, too late because we'll cut he, it together. He does, a, uh, he does a great job of it as well. The cab, the, I saw the first episode of Ando's as, as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know how, how this all works, who owns ideas. And I find them really different. I, 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 
Oh, I wouldn't put Maddie John's show in the same category as as yours as the bounce. Um, it does seem to go on about serious footy stuff for too long. The Maddie Johns, yeah. Johns one. Yeah, so yeah, I call the characters. I think you've got um, Don Kirk, and he's got more, yeah. more characters uh, than he does himself. I get confused because I read it in the guide and think that Channel Seven now, for some reason, have the Ronnie Johns half hour. <laughs> the Ronnie Johns, not the Maddie Johns, not the Maddie Johns <laughs> show, but the, the the Ronnie Johns half hour. And I get completely like thrown. I go, "Why is Chopper going to be on Channel Seven? It makes no sense to me whatsoever." The uh, the I just realised. Uh, have you ever it's seen? Like, the, it's, yeah. it's, it's not the same. It's it's not, the same I assume it was Ronnie Jones. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. You've seen the, the Ronnie Jones or Nip? I don't know. No, I, I just saw Maddie Jones written down and in my head just went, that must be Ronnie Jones because I've never heard of Maddie <laughs> yeah, Jones. So, yeah. That, that happens. I just realised I actually don't know what we're talking about in the segment. Maddie <laughs> <laughs> Jones used to be co host on the NRL footy show with. Is he the, the redhead one? No, he's the non redhead one. Yeah, he's, he's the, he's who, the one who got, got uh, kicked off after being involved in some sort of group sex scene. Right. Some sort of. Oh, I, I'm not. Oh. Say, I'm not putting responsibility anywhere. I'm just stating it. Okay, so a, it was he the redhead one involved with that scandal? No, he's not the non-redhead one involved with that scandal. Oh, okay, yeah. different scandal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he had to bring back oh, the Biff character. I yes, think right. on the other show, something Reagan, Reggie, Reggie Reg Reagan. That's oh, okay. it. That's, yeah. And I think he, he's got a huge following in um, probably New South Wales and Queensland. And uh, so he, yeah, he got his own show. But yeah, it does look completely different. I think to the bounce as well mm. for two shows that are. Um, I, I suppose doing the similar thing, stages. yeah, uh, yeah. Major Johns it has a diff- different look and, and feel. So I'm not sure if that comes from sort of the set that they've got or what creates the crowd. feel of a show or the crowd that's up there. Yeah, but with with a situation like that where you've got one network producing two shows that are supposed to uh, get the same audience yeah. throughout throughout Australia, do you find that they're spending half as much money on? Uh, on the bounce than they would be if it was an Australia-wide show? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard for, for me to answer that because, I mean, I come, from, I come from Nickelodeon and cable TV, so uh-uh. the fact that they've got two cameras <laughs> seems like they're spending like a, a whole a, a whole lot of money on, on this and it's like big budget stuff. Like, oh, look, biscuits. Yeah, 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 yeah there's, there's like a table with food on it and, and, and sets and stuff like that. A, a giant television with heads going around it. You go, yeah. how do they do that? Yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't know how much money they're spending on it. So yeah, I don't know when it comes to budgets if they're spending half on each or if he's getting more. Or uh, we're all, all I worry about is just turning up and sort of doing what I'm told and, at this and stage having, and having a job. And yeah, yes, yeah, smiling politely and 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 that's about all I can do at this stage. But I, I'd love to be involved more in it because that was the other bonus about working on Foxtel that you you would be involved in everything. So sort of now it's sort of um, I suppose there's more at risk as well, and there's higher stakes when you're working with like Channel 7 and, and, the, and the networks. Um, so, I, yeah, I would like to be more involved at some point sort of, and know how much money they spend on these things. But, yeah, I don't know. I think there's seven cameras or something like that, so that can't be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one of those cameras that goes up in the air and everything. So, yeah, each, I reckon that's got to be about 800 bucks right there. Each camera's <laughs> got, got a whole separate guy who carries the lead. Yeah, and, oh, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's, there's the yeah, cable. Don't forget, don't forget about them. They're yeah. important. You, you you did not get them up in uh, up at Foxtel. That was yeah. It was just one bloke, carrying his own one bloke called Walker. Yeah. Oh, Dave Lawson, thank you so much for for uh, c- coming on to Box Cutters. If we want to see you on the bounce, mm-hmm. uh, and we're in Melbourne, yep. where, where do we look? If you're in Melbourne, Adelaide, and Perth, I think you'd it's, uh, go to Channel Seven at seven thirty, um, seven thirty on a Thursday, on a Thursday night, night, on a Thursday night, and um, it's live this week. I. Th- 
think. Any uh, any any big guests that you can announce for this but week? We don't find out guests. This is the thing. You don't find out guests till sort of the night before or the day before because they've got injuries and, I, you know, they're, they're footballers. So you only get the damaged ones. Yeah. If, if they break on the weekend, they'll probably, we'll probably get them. So, so uh, Bizasto? You're going to Bizasto on this week? Who's Duel? Bruce, oh, Bruce, Bruce Duel. Bruce Duel. Yeah, I wonder uh, if they get some of the older guys. Brucey Duel. Yeah. The, he, what's Will Jones up to these days? Wow. I don't know, Diesel? D- yeah. Plugger? Plugger Plugger wouldn't come down. He doesn't fly. No. Uh, d- d- and, and he's it was on- always wrong to listen to him talk. His voice did not match his, his body. Plugger. And, and he's yeah. on cha- Channel 9 on Wednesday nights doing that uh, that, that lottery on Hey Hey Saturday. Really? Chook Lotto. Oh. Or something like that, Plug a duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. See what gig. I did there? <laughs> yeah. Plug a duck. Footy joke yeah. and Hey Hey joke all in one. Aussiest joke in the world. <laughs> Dave Lawson, yeah. thanks so much for, for joining us on Box Yeah, well, thanks Cutters. for having, having me in. It's, um, I'm, I'm going to go away thinking now about all these things, like uh, <laughs> if Matty Johns is getting more money than us. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if he is. Should be 50-50. Hi, I'm the mellifluous Rod Quantock, and I'm here on the Box Cutters for no other reason than I'm mellifluous. I'm also malevolent, <laughs> but most mellifluous people are malevolent. <laughs> Box cutters. No more, no more appropriate intro for Quite the Pacific. Sesame Streety, that isn't it? It, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, we should try to sell. I'll, I'll they call send him that. Count Rod Quantock. Yeah, because Rod Quantock's he a loves to talk. Be mellifluous. Yeah. Counts. Mm. Yes, uh, I'll send that to Carolyn Parenti. And yeah. uh, and and maybe uh, maybe she can use that on the show. It'd be lovely. Yeah, mm. you know, a little bit of uh, box cutters promotion on Sesame Street. <laughs> Why the hell not? Why the hell not? Uh, the Pacific is a show that we've been talking about for a long time because it was shot largely in Australia. Uh, is the same uh, team who brought you Band of Brothers? That team being uh, Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and the people who work for them. <laughs> You're really uncertain there for a moment, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. How's yeah, yeah. going? Yeah. No, pretty much that's it. Yeah, pretty much that's it. That's it. Yep. Uh, they, uh, of, of course, uh, have worked together on uh, on a number of projects, and, and this is kind of a continuation of their uh, World War II uh, dramatisations. Uh, the Pacific follows a group of Marines who uh, are sent to, uh, at first, Guadalcanal, uh, and then other parts of the islands in the Pacific to fight against the Japanese in the uh, in the battles of World War Two, just after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So this is end of 1941, 1942, 1943. Uh, as part of it, they they do come to Melbourne, so Australians can go, hey, I recognise that bit. Uh, so it's it's relevant to us. Uh, in, in that it, sense. it is quite odd though that it's a, it's a series you know, filmed in Melbourne with Melbourne pretending to be all sorts of places, and then for one episode it gets to be Melbourne, and that's kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> that actually feels slightly unusual. Going, oh look, the Melbourne locations are being Melbourne, and uh, and and they do. Uh, uh, it does it it does give the Americans a lot of credit for saving Australia from uh, Japanese invasion. Uh, yes, when you say so- a lot of credit. It basically says America f- fought the war single-handedly and everyone else wasn't up to their standards. Yes. Yeah. I'm not even sure why they're playing this in, uh, outside of America, in all honesty. It just feels like this whole program is meant to pat them on the back and go, well done, you. Let's not think about Iraq. And, uh, I, yeah. 
I've already started off my review, haven't I? Really? Do, you have. Do you think I've, just, I've I've coloured it? No, go on. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just say it's a it, it's an HBO miniseries. Uh, episodes are around about an hour long, uh, usually a little bit less. And John, what did you think of it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just uh, yeah. I, I, I think you've got to separate that, that, that what we... you thought of it and what you think of the concept. Oh yeah, of yeah. It no, no, no. They, I they agree. They I agree with that. But it was funny that that American obsession with always claiming they won the war, and you're going, well, you didn't join in for two and a half years. Maybe if you started at the beginning, millions less would have died. And uh, and this particularly cynical, so cynical. <laughs> And I did find myself going, why are you making this thing now? And all I can come up with is because you wanted to make a drama in which the Americans got to be heroes and there was an actual villain and... But we did see Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima that Spielberg did as as mm-hmm. uh, theatrical released films. Letters from Iwo Jima was a Clint Eastwood film. Clint Eastwood film, and that at least uh, gave time to the Japanese as well, so there was more of a sense of... Well, that was that was the converse story. story on Flags of Our Fathers. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the the I think as far as America goes at the moment, it is very important for them to uh, to to have some representation of uh, of being involved in a war where they do come out looking like heroes. Yeah, yeah, and that's what this felt like this was oh. to me. That's why this, this existed. Because, okay, I think like, you guys are being a bit harsh. Well, okay, well, let me, let me say about this one side then. As a TV show, this is boring. This is so boring and badly made. It's so bland. And the first episode I kept thinking, oh, is this a really, am I missing the point? Is this a really clever attempt to not create any characters, not give any characterization, and so that way we discover them through the war and their actions? And then you go, or have you just not been able to write any characters? You can't tell anyone apart. You don't care what anyone does. You don't care where anyone dies because you spend a bit of time going, which one was he? That's just because you think they all look the same. They do all look the same, which is true. The Japanese and the the Marines. And the Marines, because the Marines are all wearing the same outfits. They're all wearing the same hats and they all look much the same. They're all dirty. It was just that thing of generally going, why, why am I meant to care? And the whole thing, you don't really learn anything about the war. You... It kept feeling like it needed to either be more epic, which would have included a better director and cinematographer, because it looks pretty bad, or it needed to well, be more intimate and actually give you some insight into the soldiers. And it was so blandly in the middle of, of both of those. It felt like it could have been made in the 80s, it could have really? been made in the 60s, it could have been made in the 50s. I thought it very much looked for a personal experience of war is hell, basically. Well, that's what I thought maybe it was trying to do, but because we don't know who any of these people are, I found I found by by the end of episode three, I wasn't convinced it was a real war. It felt like an ad for an Xbox game or something. I wasn't convinced there was any historical accuracy, and we started questioning everything by episode three. Going, did any of this? Did anything like this ever happen? It just felt so artificial and flat that yeah, I was I don't I guess I was disappointed because I was looking forward to this too because because yeah. like you're saying, everyone yeah, we all know people have worked on it. It was it was so, everywhere so you wanted, for ages. You I was a lot more. I thought it was going because to be bigger. it wasn't the epic. I thought it was going to be bigger, and then because it wasn't the epic, you wanted more uh, overwrought personal drama. Well, no, I wanted to that you could tell who was. I wanted who to tell was who, who was who. I couldn't and tell. who felt for who. Could you? Could you tell the guys apart? Could you honestly yeah. name any character? But that, none of them had any characters. How would you define them? He was a soldier. Full stop. Let's no, move on. no, no. There's the war hero, who was the dude out of Homicide Life on the Streets. But he's but he he only becomes. But did you could you tell him apart before 
he gets the medal of honor. Could yes. you, t- yeah, could you yeah, tell yeah, apart absolutely. earlier Because he on... was the one that, that he lost his glove um, as, a, as a machine gunner. And so what happened with that machine gun is that the barrel all warms up and he was just using his bare flesh to carry it around. Didn't have a tripod to put it on, so he was just putting it on whatever he could and just machine gunning down the 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 massive onslaught of, of enemy soldiers coming at them so that there was a massive pile of bodies in but the so, way so you, that he then he then but, got into so that. what you're saying is yes what you're saying <laughs> yes, is, yeah, yeah. is yes you could tell him apart without okay. without you know spoiling what is probably one of the most dramatic <laughs> moments of the show sorry I, I didn't even think of, uh, of no, what I was no, doing no you with don't that. think about do um, anything do you Brett you never think and that's why this shows and then good. and the, then <laughs> <laughs> the and then you've got uh, you've got the more uh, feeling marine who who's the one that that goes I off. In they Melbourne. were trying to yeah they were trying to kind of make him a, a lead at one point. But he's even writing then, poetry. He's just slightly more wussy. Than and the and others. when he it's gets kind of questioned the... about it, he he makes up a story about writing something to to a girl back home mm-hmm. and and uh, you know talking about her stripping off or something. So you know. Palling around with to, with the other guys yeah. because he doesn't want to be seen as a as a tormented poet. Uh, which is which was the old version of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Are you a poet? I've got a, a couple of things. One, I think there are some fantastic moments. There are some really great individual scenes. There is a, a scene at the end of a battle fairly early on where uh, American soldiers are tormenting a, a, a Japanese soldier. Uh, without going into into too much detail, mm-hmm. it's really it's really gruesome. Has a lot of emotion in it, and uh, and and I thought uh, I thought wow, if the if the rest of the show had as much uh, detail and as much uh, intelligent thought as that moment had, it would be it would be fantastic. But also in that moment, I don't think that, that could have stood alone. I think that you needed to have the bit on the beach just before it that actually works as illumination about why these guys get in a situation where they they are tormenting See, my problem the was enemy that, that moment didn't work because, because they've just we... been fucked over by by this other guy who who they actually had some humanity for mm-hmm. who who basically oh, okay. and but was but, a suicide bomber. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but you think that moment doesn't work well because, because we don't know who these people are to me it was like watching an xbox game it was like generic soldiers on one side, generic soldiers on the other. I didn't believe any of those people were real. And that was the, the weird thing of getting to the point where I didn't believe anyone was real. And you didn't get any feeling out of... I got how it should have worked dramatically. The hopelessness dramatically. Of, of that enemy soldier's predicament. No, because that piece should have been incredibly powerful. And I was thinking, because the guy who actually takes, you takes the know, action You wanted to know more about him. Him. Because I didn't, I didn't feel that I had any weight to him as a character. The, the, the enemy soldier. No, no, the no, the, 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 the American, the American the soldier, marine. Um, the marine who the takes pilot. action at the end. The yes, um, because I didn't feel anything for him. It was hard to then know how the effects of this scene were going to have an effect because it just didn't have. Yeah, it is. It honestly felt like a video game. And see, can I, Brett? You say the poet in that point at that moment, but here I am thinking that it's uh, it's the war sure it was hero, the poet, wasn't it? And this, this I think, goes to, to I, John's point. I think point. it may have been the poet, but I can't but, remember. But I, I don't know. I can't, I can't tell them apart. And the other, and the it should because it should be a moment that then that affects go, that character for the rest of the drama. There is one very brief moment in the in, in episode one where they're running past a, a, a foxhole or a dugout or whatever, and um, 
one of the characters who I think is, is a sergeant or someone has just totally freaked out and gone into fetal position. And that moment I thought was really interesting. But again, because I couldn't remember who the hell that person was. That was the moment I thought, more stuff like this that actually says lots of weird shit was going on during the war and people were like humans and not like these sort of soldiers so, we present that, them that as. that is more like the first uh, 15 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, which is... I, I think a, an amazing battle scene. It just a, I, an extraordinary. I think that was a deliberate contrast. I the, think I think the way that uh, coming up to the beach at Guadalcanal no, but the, in those same those I'm not, same. I'm not boats, talking about the way it's shot. Same, I'm talking about the way no, no, we I'm see the about, characters. I'm not talking about the way it was shot. I think I think there was a, a very deliberate contrast between. Uh, uh, machine gunners gunning down on these landing craft with with soldiers pouring out and and underwater shots and bullets going through the water versus the total anticlimax of the way that this does it where there is nobody and and there's a there's other marines or or soldiers but I'm not, sitting on the but beach I'm not, and and but I'm not talking there's nobody about, around I'm not talking about a climax I'm talking about in the moment in the moment during the battles at the start of Saving Private Ryan, I don't know who any of these characters are, mm. yet there is something about that scene that has me emotionally invested in that scene. And in the battle scenes in, in the Pacific, I have no emotional investment. I and, and I'm supposed to know who the characters are. Are you emotionally That's, invested because you're so excited by the action film aspect of it? I'm saying I don't, I don't know, but there's something missing from the Pacific. The other thing that I, I wanted to point out is each episode starts with a little bit of documentary, a little bit of talking heads from actual footage, uh, act- actual footage actual and actual uh, Marines who, who were there talking about their experiences. I wanted to see an hour of that. Well, I found that so much oh, more interesting. Yes, I went the other way and thought, why is this here? I, both that and the voiceover by Tom Hanks, it just felt like... Just can we get rid of that? But, because but what, if, mind it, up but what, what if the whole thing was just a documentary? If the whole thing was just that, probably would, would have been like more that, interesting. That was, Has Ken Burns guys, not done that? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Is, is there a tie-in documentary to it? Maybe that that because that you know. that would be superb. Uh, but yeah, I think I think emotionally and, and I think character-wise, this is really lacking. Because that's why I wanted originally the first episode. I thought, well, maybe that's the point. They start off as bland ciphers, and we learn who they are as it goes on. And I'm just missing the point of this. And then as it went on, I thought, but I'm not learning anything about them. I'm still not. In fact, I'm just tuning out because I'm not interested in these people. And the thing I'm wondering is, if you make it now, you know, I mean, why, why are you making this now? That's what I kept coming back and to. That, and that's what I wanted to, to what are you adding jump to in you can, with before. Yeah. You, you're talking about how, how America feels like they have to be well, that doing was just my this guess because, at this point. Yeah, but it is, it is not America in isolation. You look, at, you look at the attendance at Gallipoli and for the dawn service and how, how the youth of today um, are, are spending a lot more time and a lot more effort in participating in those kind of rituals of, of Remembrance or, or, or respect mm-hmm. or whatever, but certainly as a drama, I, I think that that's a, a that's a societal question. It's not about it's it's not the US in isolation wanting to to win a war because they're still not over Vietnam. I, I don't think we were saying it's, it's because they're still not over Vietnam. Well, I, I think, think they're not over Iraq. Actually, they're, they're, yeah, saying, but, they're, but they're, they're not they're not over Iraq. I mean, they they're still there. They're still seen as the bad guys, and and here's a show where. 
where they can look at themselves as heroes. Well, I don't think they've had a chance to reflect on Iraq as, as a country as yet. Mm-hmm. I, but, I think we've got a lot more shit to deal with there uh, in over the next 10 years or so. Yeah. But so there's a drama. My question watching too was, if you're making this in 2010 or 2007, 8 and 9, as it was, um, what is the what is the purpose? You know, like, and what can you do now that you couldn't have done in you know, damn busters or, or anything like that? And because I had that thing of going, well, you know, maybe maybe we'll we'll get to see the the people who were frightened or the people who did the wrong thing or uh, you know the ones who were gay or anything. I mean, the people that you couldn't have shown in those films ten years ago, fifty years ago. And I kind of got nothing. I, I couldn't work out why they were telling the story. It didn't seem different to any other war story we'd seen. It didn't seem well made. Or better made really? than any I, other I, war film we'd seen. Um, I do. I do need... Again, I, 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 I suspect that it was done deliberately. It's like an antidote to Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. where where you've got the the super elite force where, but 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 it sounds nobody like... nobody really takes any damage until they get to the the climactic scene mm-hmm. or location um, versus just regular regular military personnel and and their personal experiences and but, i wonder it, it sounds I wonder, like you're saying that they made this deliberately boring no i'm not no no i'm saying so you think that that a personal experience going through those kind of battles and stuff is always going to be boring no god no no it'd be, it'd be really interesting sing, sing, if we actually had insight into that but thin, we've got yeah. thin red line for example is uh is is a, a fantastic uh did you want platoon in Guadalcanal? But these characters do seem on the most part, they're very heroic. They're very heroic characters. They don't have much depth and they don't have, uh, there's not much grey to them at all. It's, you know, the show says they're great. They're, they're good, all American boys, they're troopers, they go in, they get it done. And you're going, but where's the interest in that? You know, it's like there's not, there's nothing for me to relate to these characters. And there was thinking of, of, of I couldn't get any hold on any of them because there was nothing to them. They were just so cardboard cut out. I definitely did of those two characters. Everything I've read is is talking about it being a story of three different Marines. I'm not sure who the third Marine is. <laughs> See this You've is got this the is hero the and the poet. I'm not sure who I'm not sure which character is supposed to be the other the focus of, of this series. It's it, it's a problem with the series. I, I not, I not did, that I don't recognise them from each other. I put a shout out on Twitter last night asking uh, if anyone else had had seen uh, the Pacific. Uh, got a, a whole lot of responses back. Almost all of them along the lines of, "I was a big fan of Band of Brothers, and I just find this really boring." So they 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 have missed the mark somewhere because there was Band of Brothers ex- another instance of crack unit. Band of Brothers, I haven't seen. I can't say, yep. but uh, but they have their uh, existing audience. I mean, the, the the people who liked Band of Brothers are the people who are going to watch the Pacific and encourage others to watch the Pacific. If they're losing them, they've got to be doing something wrong. Maybe this is how they get the people that didn't watch Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan to watch a war film and and reflect on the sacrifices made it, by it, making it boring it, it has had some good reviews it was funny because i i was okay, yes, at one yes, point i was thinking boring but by, by making it like a, a bit of a lie down because obviously maybe i just missed the point and i was and i was reading some reviews it was interesting there's a lot of reviewers raving about it and then especially online things like the av club and then people going actually i'm just finding this really boring <laughs> and 
And there is some talk about episode five and six and that it all sort of falls together and all this kind of but stuff. But I'm not getting through to episode five or six. No, I'm, by the end of episode three, I had really, I, I, I glazed over. I realized I, I, I actually didn't watch like the last 20 minutes of it because I just kind of forgot it was on. Like, I, I think I was so distracted by... Of the you know, third episode. Yeah, of the third one. Just because I just really had given up caring about any of these people by that point. You, you know what, though? I, I am very interested in how it was made. Mm. So why don't we speak to our next guest... Drew Rhodes, about uh, how it was made. He was the, the location manager. Uh, in the meantime, I'll say Band of Brothers is on Channel 7 on Wednesday nights. It's not Band of Brothers. What's it called? <laughs> I thought you did it deliberately. No. The, the Pacific. The Pacific <laughs> is on Channel 7 on Wednesday nights. Have they shown one or two uh, they've shown, at this point? Uh, they've shown two, I Two episodes, is... but back to back. So this week, uh, Melbourne. Hey! Uh, but you should be able to uh, catch up on Plus 7, I, I believe. I'm saying that. I haven't even checked. Who knows? You'd imagine so. Hi, this is Genevieve Lemon, and you are listening to Box Cutters, you lucky, lucky people. Uh, you're, you're so classy. You're I so know. professional. I know. I just wasn't expecting Genevieve Lemon. Who, who was? I know. Nobody expects, expects Genevieve, Genevieve Lemon. Lemon. We are so, so lucky today on, on Box Cutters. A cavalcade of, of guests, uh, but... In, uh, in keeping with our theme of it being Anzac Day next week and reviewing the Pacific today, we also have in the studio with us right now Drew Rhodes, who was location manager on the Pacific and uh, is also location manager for City Homicide now. City Homicide, just, just for those not in Australia, City Homicide has very little to do with Anzac Day. Very, very little to do with Anzac Day. But... The Pacific, a little, a little bit more to do with Anzac Day, yeah. A little bit more. Drew, can you start by telling us what the hell a location manager does? Oh, that's a very good question. Take a little while, probably. Uh, I know that you drive around and go, oh, this spot will be nice. Uh, yeah, a little bit of that. Lots of that, actually. Um, you, I, I guess the nice thing about being a location manager is you're in very early in the process and you're at really the, the pointy end, in a way, of the uh, creative part of the business as well um early in pre-production you'll get you know brought in uh given a script introduced to a director and a production designer and that sort of thing and they talk about you know ideas of feel and you know the types of things we want to bring into whatever it is we're making uh and then you you sort of really go out there and um, try and find it in the real world so do, do they give you a list then is it like here's here's what we need as a shopping list of, of locations uh, yeah a little bit um obviously you get a script and you you break down that script from from what it is and and then really you can start talking in um often at the start it'll be broad strokes about um themes ideas things things creatively that they want to achieve you know do we want to achieve a, a gritty melbourne feel or do we want to a beautiful, you know, shiny, happy, romantic mm-hmm. uh, sort of feel. And that only goes to sort of uh, um, colour in a way what uh, it is that you have in your mind when you then go out and start looking for them in real life, you know. So there's that creative element to it. Uh, and then there's the the sort of logistical, how the hell do you get, you know, 50 or 60 or 160 crew to wherever it is that we're shooting and uh, and actually able to shoot the day so it's a i, I guess a, it's a balancing act between uh, logistics and and uh, nice creative stuff you know and, and then what what about power 
and and and, 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 and th- in things like that. As in my own personal power, or no, just, no, no, no. As, as in <laughs> logistics. As in, uh, yeah, electricity and and things like that. How, mm. uh, how do you know that you're going to be able to uh, tap into a power grid? Uh, where you're, how, how do you know that you're going to have uh, access to, say, three-phase power or, or, is or whatever? That, or is, is that less of your concern? Do you sort of find somewhere that's going to look right and let them... Uh, yeah, well, it, it sort of all comes under the same banner. Generally speaking, a, a production will be entirely self-sufficient when it goes on the road. And that's why, I mean, we call it... If I'm to come to your doorstep today and knock on your door and say, hey, listen, I'm Drew and I'd like to use your house for X... Um, one of the things I always use to describe it is it is a complete circus. You know, it's 40 people you don't know uh, bringing gear and cables and cameras and stuff and actors and, you know, we're going to kick that door in and we're going to, you know, the, the art department will mock that up and that'll all be fine and we'll put put your house back entirely as it was by the time we leave. And is that true? I, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time it's true. So essentially, um, to a degree, I'm a... a a salesperson in a way when it comes to that only I'm not trying to sell you a, a used Commodore I'm trying to uh, get you to um, cooperate to the level that we require to shoot whatever it is that we want to shoot so it's, so it's a little bit like having an, an open house uh, it is a, house a lot like sale. having a party or, or you make sure that all your precious stuff is, is out of the way exactly you, we, we because there's exactly always that. the trinkets that are going to get broken in the rush and, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the real thing that um, I spend quite a bit of time on doing is making the people making sure that people are comfortable with what we're doing and that we don't just flat out lie to them about what it is you know we I've, I've got to make them aware that yeah it's a bit of a process and we're going to pay you a location fee and sort that out with you but it's uh it's something that you need to be comfortable with uh, because part of my job very importantly i guess is that we rely very heavily on people's cooperation whether that's somebody's house or a council or anything like that. And in order to get that cooperation, you've got to uh, be straight with people. So um, that's a very important part of it. But to answer your question about the power, generally we're completely self-sufficient. We'll have a generator sitting out the front buzzing away. And uh, if we can't or can't get the generator close enough or whatever, then I'll investigate those other issues of logistics and power and water and things like that. On more of the power crazed concept though, mm. what happens <laughs> if they ask you for a location that you just can't find or what you can find you don't I get think fired, be very good? I mean, is, yeah, is yeah. That, so there, I mean, has there been, uh, you know, they say we need a, a 12th century cathedral or something and you come uh, back going, you can't do that, but you, here's... You can't do yeah. that because it's Australia. Yeah, well, mm. yeah. You can't do that, but here's Federation Square. Well, yeah, like I mean, it. is there, is yeah. there any, any uh, kind of options for doing that sort of thing? Well, uh, a little bit, yeah. It, you'll occasionally get thrown something where... Th- there is only one of them. For example, um, I was I did location managing on a film called uh, Animal Kingdom, which is to, to come out soon, and uh, they wanted a juxtaposition of where they were going to put a character as almost like a fish out of water. He was to be talking to his brief, and they wanted to put that in a location that was very much out of the world of this you know, lower-level criminal-type character. So they wanted to, to shoot in the um, National Gallery of Victoria, which we did end up shooting. But at the start of it, they're a little bit reticent about that, quite naturally, because, you know, we wanted to shoot in the Italian Masters section where, you know, there are priceless paintings and you've got to take the crew in there and the lights and everything else. So that was one of those times when there was one of them. There was only one National Gallery. So if it wasn't going to be that, then it would have had to have been, we would have had to have made a choice and made it, 
something else. But presumably, though, you but could have in that in that situation, you could say, "Well, what about the Windsor, or what about you know, like yeah, a little bit? A, you could you could do that, a, yeah. yeah, sort of thing." And generally, those sort of things are probably talked about quite early on in the process. And I might throw in, "Hey, listen, I don't think we're going to find that." Um, how much art department do we have? How you know? Can do we have an ability to dress our way around this problem, or can we rethink it and re-script it? Because yeah, I mean, if it's fiction, uh, or even a fictionalised version of reality, uh, or what really happened, as in you know, the Pacific was based on real memoirs, but we had to obviously treat some of it for dramatic effect, uh, then. You know, we take each of those issues as they come. Do you also have scope in that kind of situation in, in say, uh, the National Art Gallery, um, where you can you can do the setting shot, and so they're actually walking through the actual location, but then switch to a set. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. The the whole thing. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Which which could <laughs> well, it's, and well, I'm, I'm wait 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 wait. So if if there's a scene and it's set in the National Gallery, are you telling me it's not necessarily shot in the National Gallery? Are you saying TV lies, Take, take a shot of them walking past the water wall yeah. and, and then they go inside and you've got colour photocopies of the, the great masters on the walls. Just like in the so, real... So you're saying they have colour yes, photocopies like the real. in the National Gallery. Hey, you, know, you're saying? Uh, you know Star also, Trek, not really space. What? Yeah. But also I'd imagine I don't understand. That, <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine that, bringing it back to the Pacific, where you've got shots in not a, not a huge bedroom, the logistics of that sort of stuff having a whole crew in there yeah. and, and lights and stuff, that would just physically be a difficult space to work in. You're absolutely right, and uh, it's exactly what they did. Um, they, for example, in the the episode which is set in Melbourne... Uh, in episode three. Episode three, uh, set in Melbourne in 1943. Uh, they, we, we found, uh, for example, as we were just chatting off air before, um, the parts of it were filmed in Rathdown Street. Yeah, I was saying, tragically, I was so thrilled I recognised Rathdown Street. <laughs> I went, that's around the corner! I know where that is! Oh, <laughs> so, so is, is that uh, old Greek town? That's Greek Rath- town. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, which, which we um, turned into our Greek town. And uh, we did that for reasons of that it was a great period street surrounded by not only... It required two things. It required a period shopping strip sort of area and also uh, great period sort of housing. Um and in reality, the Greek town that Robert Leckie actually visited was probably on the edge of the CBD as it now is. And there was a small Greek community sort of in around Lonsdale Street already then. Uh, but of course, you can't shoot that uh, in 2008 as it was um, because it's changed quite a lot. So <clears throat> we shot it up there in Rathdown Street, uh, which was a fantastic experience. But we shot exteriors. Um, in both the front of a of a property there, uh, the backyard, that sort of thing. But yeah. the interiors that you see in the in the series were, were brilliantly recre- recreated by the art department. So, uh, so the interiors generally are sets for for the Pacific. Is that um, like when largely? Yeah. Although sometimes we would build sets on location. So there are other things where I know we had to do like a commander's office at one stage, and that was done in it um, uh, an old room in the Abbotsford Convent. Uh, for example, so occasionally you'll find a location for them then to dress as a set sort of thing if it's large enough and everything else. But I guess the amount of detail that they wanted to place into that set required quite a long dressing period, which we would have had to have kicked the people out of the house that were there. Um, And there are lots of other logistical things of actually 
you confine yourself, whereas if you're on a, a soundstage, obviously you can float a wall out of the way and uh, put it where you want it, when you want it. When, when going back to Melbourne of 1943, mm. uh, and uh, particularly CBD, I mean, most of the CBD shots in episode three with the Pacific are of Flinders Street Station. Yeah. And uh, even then, only of one particular part of Flinders Street Station, there's uh, clearly a lot of effort being gone to, to not show any of the other side of Flinders Street because you don't want Lord of the Fries appearing <laughs> in Correct. 1943. Yeah. Because uh, their logo's changed since then. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. Completely changed. Uh, how, how do you uh, go about finding old-style locations in a city that has changed so much in the last 60 to 70 years? Uh, that was one of the important reasons why we ended up going with Flinders Street um, Station and the length of the building, really, around uh, that Flinders Street side. Um, the, uh, we showed them other things as well. And again, uh, we based it as much upon um, the memoirs that exist uh, from Robert Leckie and from others. Um, the art department did extensive research and the producers were really... The integrity with which they pro- approached this whole project was um, quite amazing and uh, um, should be pointed out, I think, because they were very concerned about uh, trying to tell this these stories as accurately as they could and still give it a dramatic, mm. you know, intention. Um, but when it came to Flinders Street... Uh, there really was only one period building in Melbourne of the size and scale and also that had the icon status, I suppose. It's where the men also would have gone. It was sort of there was a train running at that particular time rather than a tram from uh, Station Pier, Mm -hmm. which we show the boat landing at Station Pier. Uh, They would have got off onto a train, actually, and they probably would have come straight into... coming over the Sandridge Bridge? Correct, I think, yeah, and probably, I think, come straight into town. It would have either been Flinders or or perhaps Spencer Street Station where they got off. Um, So it's quite feasible that they would have actually piled out of the train and ended up exactly where they were. Gone straight into Younger Jackson's. Exactly, and and, and seen Chloe and all of that sort of stuff. That's really what they would have done. So um, it became a process of saying, listen, obviously you've got a really great period... uh, um, facade here that we can make use of um, and therefore have trams rolling up and down in front of it and actually feel like that it was more street than it was sort of thing. And then they, you know, the old smoke and mirrors thing again, they did some French reverses where they cheated backgrounds obviously so that, you know, when you're on the other side looking at the character, you're actually looking at another end of Flinders Street Station sort of thing, you know, in order to get it out of the street and... uh, for all the control that we could put on it, obviously we can't double dress a whole other side and take out all those modern shops. So and you had that that cut off point uh, going going east where the superstop is in there. Yes, now. which now is now is there, and probably you see we're, we're really showing a Flinders Street that now absolutely doesn't exist. You couldn't shoot that today yeah. because I think that I mean we were in consultation with a lot of people. Uh, there was state government level, there was Department of Infrastructure, there was Melbourne City Council, obviously big contributors who were allowing us to do it the tram companies the the trains the whole thing I mean there were a lot of people involved in helping us do that Um, and I think they held the works in fact on that superstop until we'd we'd done it so yeah there was quite a 
when you've got um, a bit of clout like you did when we were doing Bringing that. a bit of cash to the economy. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Spielberg wants you to hold on with building that <laughs> yeah. superstar. He'll, he'll throw money at you. you when, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, that is a, an important question, though. When, when you've got uh, a, a huge deadline like you would have mm. with, uh, with uh, producing the Pacific, you've got so many other things that rely on you being able to shoot in Flinders Street on this particular day. How do you get bureaucrats to rush through a decision like that? I mean, you've, you've got you so well, many bureaucrats we to had get quite a We had quite a while to, to do it, really. I mean, we started uh, flagging a day for that probably a year out, not quite a year, but maybe a year out. And then we started proper heavy works on a, about six months out in terms of negotiating it. So unlike a normal you know, Australian production where you might get three weeks to prep something, we had a long time to right. prep it. Uh, we also had meetings with the Lord Mayor and there was, um, you know, state government ministerial involvement, only in the sense of what, what they basically do is give you a bit of overreaching, yes, we're very keen to have this happen. They'd have nothing to do really with uh, how the hell it's going to happen. Um, that's for us to sort of work out at the ground level. But th- they give you a little bit of overreach to say, from a bigger perspective, a bigger picture thing, we're happy for you to to do this and it's good for Melbourne. And it was, it was, it was, I found it really pr- impressive and it must have been a massive traffic uh, control job and, and not just talking about car traffic but talking about people in Flinders Street Station because it wasn't like an early or a late shot. Um, it was a whole day, In the daytime, yeah, no, we in the daytime it, shot opposite we uh, Flinders the, Street. Um, so it was like uh, 10 or 11 o'clock yeah, in the morning. You can tell by where the sun's coming from and we, like there's nobody else around yeah. there, nobody that you can see on the platforms at the station and stuff. You're exactly right. We, we shot it as a half-day, half-night scenario, basically, yep. and uh, we closed it on a, at, at around 10pm on a Friday night and we opened it bang on the dot of 8 o'clock Sunday morning, which was when we contractually basically had to open oh, really? it. It was that early. Um, so we had Saturday to shoot it and we started shooting by about midday-ish and we right. shot until about one-ish in the morning, something like that and then a complete de-dress happened and uh, I mean to watch a machine working like that with hundreds and hundreds of crew crawling over it to get it to um, shut it, dress it, shoot it and de-dress it and have it back to a normal street again in 45 hours was the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen. It was, And then start uh, construction on a super stop. And start, yeah, <laughs> banging those first ones in like the very next thing yeah. that they did the next morning. No, not just that, um, though. As a bonus, they, they collapsed the Graves uh, Tunnel. Oh, in the, uh, yeah, yeah. That, was, that would have been that same weekend where, was, where uh, the, mm. shops, the shops in the uh, subway got uh, crumpled in on. Was that us? Yeah, it was connected with when they started building <laughs> the superstop. Yeah, um, it was a superstop. Uh, sorry, John. Oh, I, look, I just wanted to ask because uh, obviously you had to find locations in Melbourne to represent Melbourne in 1943, yes. but you also had to find locations to represent not Melbourne. Yes, as well. Yeah. What, what, I mean, what, what places were you looking for, and how do you how do you define whether a location to you says I'm in America or? Yeah, really, good question, and really hard hard to. Um, Hard to do in a way. We had to find locations that were where these men came from in their hometowns um, for parts of the story. So, um, so St Mary's Church, which is uh, the first thing that we see 
Yes. Uh, that's in episode one. In episode one. That's yes. not here. Not us. That's right. Not Melbourne. Okay. Well, thanks for bringing that one yeah. up, Josh. Just wanted to check. Yeah, nice. Wanted to find out okay. how much was us. It's covered in <laughs> snow. It's not here. Because uh, uh, they can't make fake no, snow. On... It's illegal. Right. We actually, I don't know how TV works. Uh, we actually showed them a bunch of churches and things here, but they wanted to uh, take that. That was The character was from New Jersey. Mm. They wanted to take it back. We did find other New Jersey-type locations here, and... Uh, the as well as, and yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you've, you've seen well ahead then. In, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I'm well into the strip the, episodes. <laughs> the the um, and uh, um, there was a training facility in Georgia where uh, the cadets went. Georgia Tech, uh, that is Melbourne High um, that oh. we found, and so th- there were elements of things like that which were pretty close in ways to the, the research material that we were finding. So are you um, working from, say, photographs? Yeah. Or, and then, because presumably, like, we'll go, well, we think it looks American, but then I, I presume Americans have to... They have to think it looks American as well. And the, um, the art department, and specifically, really, the, the production designer, um, Anthony Pratt, in this particular case, fantastic guy to work with and, you know, just done an, an enormous amount of stuff uh, previously and done the Band of Brothers, which is why... He was such a you know, trusted, uh, valuable member of that team, and uh, the the concern was very high to get it to get it right. Um, and uh, it was a collaboration really with the art department, the producers, the directors, really weighing in, you know, on on what they thought as well of of its authenticity and um, how they could shoot it and sell it in a particular way. So yeah, it becomes a collaborative collaboration really above my head or our department's head. Um, in a way we're just, we throw up the options and they work out, you know, what they can do with it to really make it as authentic as we possibly can. Just an interesting uh, stepping, going back a step. Um, it's interesting that you use Melbourne high for, uh, for the Georgia location. Um, during the second world war, the Americans actually took over that building and used it as a, as a headquarters and the school moved out uh, to exhibition street. I think it was, yeah, um, you know, was, history pretty well. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 old it's, Melbourne high boy. Ah, oh, there you go. Uh, it, it's one of the great things about doing locations. You find out all these great stories and it, essentially what I do is talk to a lot of people. Um, and, and I talk to some great people and I go to some great parts places and uh, yeah they dug trenches around the oval and, and in the oval oh, actually and all of Forest Hill there which is in South Yarra is is full of uh, a warren of, of tunnels yeah and uh, the myth goes that there's still an American tank buried under the main oval <laughs> between the building and the railway line wow I didn't hear that one I'll take that really? I'll take a word on that and I'll I'm sure there's somebody out there with a metal detector that probably want to go and find out but um, it yeah it's a great privilege really to be able to um, go around a lot of these places and because you spend time I think an important part of what I do is actually getting people involved in the process and the story or whatever it is I mean people you you get great results from people when they feel part of um, what it is that we're all doing you know and uh, great stories come out about it one, one of them was that in uh, episode three we also see that the men go on a training camp uh, where they're asked to then foot march back to Melbourne. Um, and the the railway line, which we shot some of that stuff on, was down on the Mornington Peninsula. It now runs as a little tourist railway uh, between sort of Muraduck and, and Mornington. 
And we found out from the guys down there who were all train nuts, of course, and historians and whatever else, that was actually used by the Marines during that time as probably where they came down to some camps that were further down um, the peninsula. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we were probably actually recreating somewhat the exact spot, the exact things that those guys would have been in that train carriage on that train line going down there 65 years ago. So that stuff sends a little shiver up your spine when you find out those things just by talking to people, you know, that, oh, man, this really happened here. It wasn't why we ended up here, but it's actually a coincidence that it really happened. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's fantastic. So do you get that joy when you're uh, watching a show that, uh, that you've done lo- location managing for uh, and, and you see how they've used your location? Do you go, oh, Drew, you did a really great job. Do you do that? Do you, am, do you speak do, to yourself you in the go, second person? Yeah. And or do you go, they're filming the wrong uh, way? Yeah, a little bit. No, um, I'm a nerd by, by, by my nature, I think, in that way, and that I do kind of uh, like to pick it apart a little bit. And you and Cropley could, uh, could could talk a well, lot. This, about this. Well, well, one one particular <laughs> movie oh that really oh grates so with me, yeah. only because I know the locations, is uh, the Big Steel. Right, where, yeah, where, yeah. Where he goes, kind of parked on Princess Bridge, <laughs> and then goes around the corner and suddenly is next to Luna Park. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that see, that grates us on yeah. all. Yes, yes, but no. You know, you're, you're <laughs> only because I do like, you kind of but it, the link. The link between the two locations I'm, wasn't a particularly well. I, no, and I'm I'm with you there. But uh, look, it, it comes into that thing where we have to, um, for so many reasons, of the fact that it's a miracle that anything ever gets shot. Really, in a way, it's so bloody hard to to put it together and schedule it as such. You know, and mm. it's just. Uh, very, very tough. So they make the decisions on that and based on the fact that hopefully you're watching the characters and into that um, not and not just the backgrounds like the your eye maybe would from time to time. Well, so. What's the difference then between, in your experience, working on something like The Pacific, which is this huge American production, mm-hmm. and working on you know, uh, your local productions, your Animal Kingdoms? Because I, City Homicide. City, City Homicide, homicide yeah. Because I, I've got to admit that I, I didn't think $20 million per episode went anywhere near as far as $20 million per episode would go on an Australian production. And I was kind of wondering, where does, where does it go? Why is it different? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question too. Um, uh, the differences are in time, and money buys you time, essentially, is, is what it does, as well as it buys you effects and all that other, that other stuff. The uh, you, you, yeah, it's a hard question for me to answer because it's really something that only the producers of the Pacific to answer, and they may not want to answer sure, it yes. about about where their twenty million bucks went per app. But there are large uh, chunks of CGI that had to be done in obviously to create the battle sequences. A lot of it was done for real. We were really blowing holes in things out at the Yu Yangs for months on end um, to create huge battle sequences on airfields and things like that. Um, but there is CGI involved. There is just production cost involved in having that many people uh, involved on not just this continent but over in the States mm-hmm. and uh, large degrees of post-production and things as well. So it's a, a collaborative effect, I suppose, across all of that. Um, Australian productions have less time and or less money and therefore a bit less time in order to do it. And um, time when you're shooting it is really the key factor that's always running against you no matter how much money you have you still run out of time because i was thinking about that the um the scene at flinders street station in fact is is similar or, um, 
yeah, love you, love your work. Mm. Um, or possibly even less effective than, say, Squizzy Taylor, an Australian film I mean, yeah. from the 70s, a few years back. Yeah. Squizzy Taylor presumably would not have had the equivalent no. in those days of that same amount of money, but also you're probably saying they would have had half an hour to get that shot rather than... Yeah, exactly. And they probably, they, they might have had a much smaller window, but also um, times have changed so heavily in, in my work too. I mean... A few guys, old timers that that were mentors to me in my early career, would tell me, you know, hair raising stories about how they were shooting, um, you know, episodes of Division Four or Homicide, oh. and with no uh, safety, no uh, stunt drivers, no permission, no permissions, none of that sort of stuff existed in mm-hmm. that same way. And um, one of my mates who was an actor and popped up in, you know, in various things around about that era said, you know, he would be put in a car and told to drive around that corner of Russell Street and, you know, into La Trobe Street as fast as you can, squealing the tyres is better, um, you know, and to hell with whatever's coming in front of you. That just doesn't exist anymore. There are layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of permissions and all of that sort of thing required, and so there should be, really, so that oh, people don't get killed. Wouldn't yeah. City Homicide be great, though, if you thought at any point, any moment, <laughs> someone might die? City Homicide's <laughs> fantastic. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, but, but, but it, would be, it would be so much better if I knew it was Noni Hazelhurst dragging <laughs> Oh, <up>. yes. <laughs> any know. moment, Noni Hazelhurst may kill someone. And she, <laughs> she looks like she'd have a lead foot, too, actually. Oh, so, yeah. oh yeah. totally. Um, yeah, she's an animal. But, yeah, it's changed. So going back to your Squeezie Taylor example, it, it's it's... Um, it's really something that, uh, you know, they may have had a window. They, they obviously would have had to work around other things that go on. Um, but, yeah, it, it, the whole size of the thing means you can only possibly get on something like Pacific a certain number of shooting hours. And, of course, then probably screen time of, I don't know, two and a half minutes, something like that something, maybe, yeah, of, yeah. that we might have got that day or three yeah. minutes. So, yeah, it's a, certainly a lot of expenditure for the amount of time that goes mm. on the screen. We've, just, we've also just become the first person in about 30 years to ever discuss Squizzy Taylor, so well done us. Yay! <laughs> Someone uh, out there is listening to this going, someone remembered oh, my film. Oh, Squizzy Taylor, yeah, I made that. Uh, <laughs> just, just lastly, Drew, because I know we, we've kept you from your family for, for quite some time. It's going on three days now. We really should have recorded this That's, yeah. interview earlier. Sorry, sorry, sorry about guys. that. Yeah. And let us know if the binding's too tight. But... Uh, uh, it, if I was a, a young person full of hope and promise and I wanted to uh, get into location managing, yes. how, how would I do it? Oh, we'd beat that out of you pretty quickly, probably. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, um, oh, no, you don't want to do that. Uh, look, it's a great... It, it, I'm, I'll am i say again, I'm incredibly lucky to do what I do. It's a real privilege to do it. I love my job. I'm, I'm very aware of uh, that and that no matter what it's on, uh, I like taking the next job that's coming along and working on what I'm working on now or... Uh, whatever it is, Australian telly or Australian movies, is um, I still learn things off doing those. So it's a very w- rewarding job. It's it's a very tough job in in lots of ways. In that you can be um, also sort of beholden to two masters. In that you're trying to get everything that the production needs and wants, uh, and creatively, and you're also really trying to do it without you know screwing everybody out there in you know locations land who. Um, may or may not care about what we're doing, but but so, I can't I can't go to TAFE and do a diploma. No, no, you can't. But I, I mean, if you're in, a lot of people sort of fall in from within the business too. And and if you are within the business and running and or doing other things, as I was before I was a location manager. Um, but I will say too, we're short of location managers at the moment in Melbourne. We are uh, there is a, a project that's about to start shooting that's got their location manager from Queensland because there aren't enough of us uh, in Melbourne at the moment to do it. So we would love some other people really to come in and 
uh, give us a hand. So, it, but it is incredibly rewarding thing to do. How you would do it, that's a really hard question to answer because it's like anything. I, I, um, I fell into it by accident. Some people come in via film schools and other things and I think everybody that comes in maybe brings a little bit of their experience having come from wherever it is that they've come from. Coming from a film school, you might have come from a really <clears throat> a, a photographic eye background, you know, a, a stills photography background or, um, or certainly, you know, a creative background. Um, coming in from being you know, a real estate agent or a, some, as, as some other guys have done, you come in from an t- entirely different angle. So everybody that comes in brings their own effect to it. And it's a curious position. Like, like most uh, jobs in the industry, it's about who you know to be able to get in there. A little bit, But yeah. then you actually have – in your position, you actually need to keep that rolling into keeping on knowing people so that you can – you can get these locations. You do. And, and look, I'm 10 years into it and I'm still, um, you know, gathering information and working with some new people, a lot of people I've worked with now. but Managing relationships. Managing, so. managing relationships, exactly. And yep. also I think you, it's one of those jobs you don't stop learning. You know, you have to and uh, because, you know, you can never really know enough. I'm still finding parts of Melbourne I didn't know were there. So, you know, you can never really know everything about this job. Yeah. Um, Drew, Drew Rhodes, thank you so much for, for joining thank us on, on Box Cutters. It's, it's been a fascinating conversation. I've, I've wanted to get someone from Location Services in here for a, a long, long time. I've only gotten through some of the questions that I have. <laughs> That's a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you watch one thing. Oh, so quickly, John Richards, if you were going to watch one thing this week, what would it be? I'd be watching 7-2. Yes. Really? Yeah, I know. Really? How insane is that? 7-2 on Thursday, Thursday 22nd at 7.30 in the evening. You can watch uh, Barry Humphrey's Flashbacks, which is a documentary series. Oh, is that series. what they're doing with that? Yeah, from 1999. Have you guys seen it? It's, yes. It's, it's pretty good. And yeah. the, the book is also very good. Um, Barry Humphreys looks back on Australia. This episode is the 70s, and it also includes uh, characters like Dame Edna and Sandy Stone and lots of archive and, footage, and it's very good. And Squizzy Taylor. And, and maybe even a look at Squizzy Taylor. I am thrilled that someone out there is listening to this going, oh, my God, all that work I did so many years ago. <laughs> someone remembered. I saw it late uh, on think, telly one night. Think, yeah, you think they're doing that? Yeah. I reckon anyone who worked on that thing is just thrilled that someone's remembered it. If, An if angel was, just got its wings. If, if I was going <laughs> to watch one thing this week, it would be I Rock uh, next Monday night at 9pm on ABC2. It's a new... Uh, Australian half-hour comedy drama about uh, rock bands in Sydney. Oh, yeah, we comedy don't drama. only cover... Yeah, comedy drama. It's, it's kind yeah. of drama, a little bit of drama, a little bit of comedy. I say, I say comedy drama because there aren't a lot of laughs in it, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I want to I support some... It's pity they couldn't set it in a town where there was a thriving band scene. What, Geelong? Melbourne. In 1988... Yes. Okay. What would you watch, Brett? I would watch All Together Now. <laughs> You'd watch All Together comedy, Now? Comedy drama yeah. about old rockers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd watch Lowdown, which uh, playing uh, playing the ID from Adam Zwar earlier on was no accident. Adam Zwar oh, no. is in Lowdown. Uh, it's, uh, he he, he yeah, works as a writer. Um, seems on a, on a celebrity scandal kind of rag type thing. Um, looks all right. 
And meanwhile, John uh, English is going, someone mentioned all together now. It's, uh, <laughs> Next time, they mentioned Pirates of Penzance. I was in that too. Oh, my God. Yeah. It'll, be interesting, it'll be interesting after, um, God, it's got to be almost 10 years that, uh, that, that we started that this show. Adam Zwar and, and Jason Gann have worked uh, so closely together on many projects. Uh, Adam, uh, as far as I know, uh, Jason Gann is not involved with this uh, production, so it should be interesting. Also, well, that, uh, anything also, they have done in the past has just been involved bestiality, so I don't. Also, that uh, Adam did work as a uh, as a bit of a celebrity goss uh, writer for a, a a bit of a scandal rag, being the Herald Sun uh, some years ago. So it's I've, semi-autobiographical is what you're saying. Yes, yes. I've been it's, waiting for uh, minutes. It's the Ken Burns version of Adam Zwyer's biography. Yeah. I've been waiting for minutes for you to finish this segment, Brett. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. And that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 220. I want to say thanks so much to Drew Rhodes. That's not pork, that's just the end. Yeah. It's just the end. There's no time for pork. Okay. No time. Have you got pork? Don't let him push you around. John. No, I just, I just, you know, we play the pork and then there's no pork, then there's We're the not, outro. You're not going to be here for a couple of weeks, so if we you've got the pork, news. give we us pork. We played the news and there was no news. No, that's true. Eurovision Song Contest, Volcano, filming, problems. Good. Go on. See? Google, Google the rest of it. We can put that on the site as a news story. Yeah, but it's not a news story, it's pork. It's Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's true. Thanks so much to Drew Rhodes and Dave Lawson for coming in and talking to us about what they do uh, or not, as the case may be. Uh, both uh, excellent guests and, uh, and we'll be glad to have them back on anytime, no matter what you say, Brett. <laughs> I love them both. Yeah, you say I had now. particular now. fun with... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, <Dave>. with <laughs> insert name here. I'm, I, I, am, I am very, very uh, embarrassed... That I had no idea it was him with Stephen Curry in those funny ads, <laughs> but was, they were classic ads. And who remembers what they were for? No, not me. I think it was for kangaroo-based pies or something. <laughs> uh, next week, Nelly Thomas will be sitting in the John Richards chair. Hurrah! <laughs> so you, you get a week off. <laughs> it's finally. a named chair. It's like an academic position. It is, it is, well, yeah. well, when John sits in it, it's the Nelly Thomas, Thomas chair. chair. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Just, I don't want either of them to feel too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, Nelly's back next week and you can all say, oh, your show is lovely, Nelly. Oh, did you get a five-star review on The Age, Nelly? Oh, did you sell out all your tickets, Nelly? And hope that that'll yeah, keep her happy. Did you get a five-star happy. review? Oh, she got a good review. That's awesome. Maybe I saw like a quarter-page uh, photo of her. Right. Well, I, I don't see The Age calling Nelly's show the the hip, hip youngster breakout <laughs> comedy of of the year. The with its swinging hit of 1965. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unlike Outland, which, you know... Yeah. Everyone else has seen except for me, apparently, according to the Sunday Age. Yeah. Yeah. yeah everyone else loved it. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Jim Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Pay no heed. She's a moron. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. <laughs> Catch us again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And harsh. hey, let's be careful out there.
Boxcutters thanks 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this podcast pretty much each and every week. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you're in the Melbourne metro area. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the iTunes Music Store or anywhere else you find us and leave a review. It will help other people find Boxcutters and then they can enjoy it too. Email us at hooray at boxcutters.net or via SMS on 0458 288 837. That's 0458 Cutter. I swear it's just worse than it. It sounded, it sounded like you were saying that about Nelly, though. No, no, not, not about Nelly, about that writer in, in the uh, Sunday okay, Age. Okay. But no, okay. we love the writer in the Sunday Age. She says nice things she's about lovely, my work. Lovely yeah. things about John. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure, because she's a fool. <laughs> oh, oh, no. oh, so now no, I'm taking no, no, it wait, personally. Wait, 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 wait. I can solve the, the controversy here. <laughs> I can the solve controversy this. here, John Richards, was that not even you had seen it. So how is she writing an article saying I, this was probably will be still the right? Best she was probably still right that my writing was I great. I can solve this. Yeah. I can solve this. How? I've got someone here who will say honest, nice things about John Richards. Help us, Josh. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Gutters.